Welcome to the Keto for Endurance Athletes podcast, where we show you how to push through the nutrition and training barriers that are holding you back in order to finally get the healthy body and race results you've always wanted. Take the guesswork out of your training and gain the fitness and confidence you need to succeed. Give one of our free training plans a try at www.ketoendurance.co. Peak on race day. Hello, everybody. This is Stephanie for the Keto for Endurance Athletes podcast. I have a very special guest, Matt Bach. From, he is the director of UCAN's endurance business. If you're an endurance athlete who follows a keto-adapted or fat-adapted approach, I'm sure you've heard of UCAN. You may or may not have tried it. And Matt's going to talk all about his history, how he found UCAN, why he loves it, and how to use it, and all of that. So welcome, Matt. Thank you for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Great. So let's talk about how you found UCAN. I know you have a, a history of some stomach issues in the past with previous types of fueling. So just give us the background. Yeah. So I, I'm actually also a, a fat adapted athlete. And that was part of the reason what what brought me to UCAN in the first place. But And then what you mentioned about GI distress is certainly something else that I had. But as far as you know, weight background, I was a runner all throughout high school, college. I had a two and a half year stint where I didn't really do too much, but then I came back to running because you know I just loved it and I loved so many things about it. And then I started doing triathlons in 2010, and then I got I noticed that as I went longer, I got better, and so I kept going longer and longer. So I, I went to the sprint distance, then I went to an Olympic distance, then a half Ironman distance, and then I did my first full Ironman in 2012 at Lake Placid, and then in 2013 I did Placid, Louisville, and Kona. And in all four of those events, I was following the advice of my friends. I didn't really know any better. I was just asking them, hey, what do you do to fuel? I realized when I went up to, especially the Ironman distance, that you, there's no messing around. There's no faking it anymore. If you're doing, say, like a 10K or a half marathon, you can kind of just fake it. Even Phone if you're it doing in, like, yeah. Yeah, like there's not really, you know, you don't need to go crazy dialing in your nutrition because even if you screw it up, you're probably not going to be held back a ton. But for me in... An Ironman distance, especially. I mean, you're out there for eight to 17 hours. And if you make mistakes in your nutrition approach, those mistakes are magnified in a big, big way, especially if you're like me and you've got a pretty, you know, somewhat sensitive stomach. And so when I went from the half Ironman distance to the Ironman distance, that was like, I guess, the straw that broke the camel's back in some way, where I was able to manage and kind of fake it up until the half Ironman distance. But then once I went up to that Ironman distance, there was no faking it anymore. So in those first four Ironman events that I did, I was able to sort of manage okay through the nutrition stuff, but I had problems in all four of those races. And in two Can of them- Can you explain what those problems are? Yeah. I mean, was it just you were running to the bathroom, you're vomiting, your stomach was cramping so bad you couldn't move or like, give us a, a description of-, of- <laughs> <laughs> the, the main things for me were stomach aches, and this feeling of sugar overload. So feeling like, okay, I've had seven gels or I've had five bottles of sugary sports drink by the time I get to the end of the, the bike leg of an Ironman. And I'm already just really struggling to take in nutrition. 
And then I'm asking my body to take in more sugary things, whether, I mean, you name it, I've tried it, you know, so anything, goo, Ironman perform, Gatorade endurance, Carbo Pro, EFS, I mean, you name it, I've tried it. And I had the same result with all of it. And this sugar overload, just looking at that next gel was like nauseating and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> that made me just popped in my head about all the talks where they talk about, I'm sure you've gone to the same conferences I have. That's where we met at a conference is mm-hmm. that you have to train the gut. You have to train yeah. the gut to eat more, to have more sugar. The reason that your stomach is shutting down is because you haven't trained your gut, which I uh-huh. think is ridiculous, but you can, you can talk a little more about that. <laughs> That's what all my friends were telling me. They're like, oh, you've got to train the gut. And then they gave me this formula right there. Like, okay, rule of thumb, you take your body weight, you mul- multiply it by two, and that's the number of calories that you're supposed to take per hour. So it's like, okay, 150 times two, 300 calories. All right, 300 calories an hour. I'm going to have, you know, fruit juice. Oh my juice, gosh. Juice, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, gonna, go on. Go on. <laughs> half a bottle of sugary sports drink. or whatever. Yeah, I'm like doing all this math in my, on a spreadsheet trying to calculate what I need. And then, you know, I'd have this great plan going into the race, but then on race day, no way I could execute that. By the time I got to the end of the bike, like I said, I was, I was having all sorts of problems, stomach aches, bloating, sloshing. I was making porta potty stops during the run that I did not want to be making diarrhea, like, I mean, all sorts of problems nutritionally. So it was very frustrating because I was going into these races really fit and really trained and ready to do really well. And then on race day itself, nutrition was holding me back. And in it's two such of those an races, investment. Severe, severe. Our races, yeah. especially in Ironman, is such a financial investment, such a time investment. You sacrificed going to out with friends, sacrifice. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices you make for that one day. Yeah. And then yeah, to just like alone is like eight, nine hundred bucks usually. I know. I, I it's flights and hotels and and then of course, you know, all I did basically for you know, two years or whatever was train and work and sleep. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. I fully understand that. Yeah. And Mary, I was married. Uh, or I am married and uh, we didn't have kids at the time, but still, I mean, I didn't get to spend a ton of time with my wife while I was training big time for Ironman. I was, there was a lot of time spent out on the roads and then it all just went for naught because on race day, I'd have problems. <laughs> so, so tell us how you found fat adaptation, keto adaptation, mm-hmm. and eventually found you can. Yeah. So that it all comes hand in hand. And what I just told you about all that nutritional problems, that's what laid the foundation for me exploring another way. So in 2014, I made the decision. I said, all right, whatever I've been doing is just not working and it's hit or miss. I'm gambling with my performances. And so I need to figure out some better way of doing this. And so I reached out to a friend who is also, also an Ironman athlete and who is a sports nutritionist. And I asked her if she could help me nail this down. And she started telling me all these things about how through fat adaptation, you can do Ironman on under hundred calories an hour. And you can, you know, all, all these claims that I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's no way. I'm like, crazy skeptic. talk. That's crazy talk. <laughs> I'm an absolute skeptic. I'm like, no, there's people telling me 300 calories an hour. How could you possibly do it under 100 calories? And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's for people who are kind of middle to back of the Packers or something. Like, that couldn't possibly apply to me because I'm trying to, like, I was, I had gone to Kona, like, I'm sort of on the pointy end. So I'm like, there's no way that would apply to me. But then I was like, all right, after two weeks of drilling her with questions all about it, I was like, all right, fine. I'm just going to do it. And whenever I do things, I kind of go wholeheartedly into it. I'm not going to just take a approach. Feet, yeah. yeah, I'm just jumping in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to commit to it because I want to see if there's some truth here or not and see if it works. So for the next 
three months, I worked with Nikki on a fat adapted approach. Uh, we never went as extreme as keto. I was using metabolic efficiency training, which is Bob Sibahar's brainchild, which is really just the way I view it is it's another form of fat adaptation that's maybe more balanced, not as extreme. And so it's got its pros and cons. Right. Um, and I think yeah. it depends on where someone's coming from too. Mm-hmm. You know, how extreme you go is some of it's biology and some of it is how broken you are. Mm-hmm. You know, the more broken you are, the more you have to go to the other end to sort of come back to where you can. So yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of factors, but go on. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you there. Everybody is so different and so individual. And that's something that yeah. I've learned even more so over the past two years now that I've been working at UCAN. And this is my day in and day out is that everybody it really is that's so individual and ketosis works extremely well for many, many athletes. And I've never actually tried going that far into the sort of like a low carb kind of approach. I've only ever done metabolic efficiency training. So it certainly could work very well for me. I'm not sure, but metabolic efficiency training was working quite well for me. So I used it for three months, just really maintaining stable blood sugar through my daily diet, stripping out a lot of the carbs that I used to have from say, you know, 70% of my daily diet down to something like 30 to 40% of my daily diet. And pairing it with proteins and fats so that the blood sugar response was muted. It was less and the insulin response was muted, staying in that fat burning mode. And my body got way better at burning fat. I did a, actually this in particular for an audience who is in tune with this stuff, I'll describe my experience with this. I, before I started making daily dietary changes with, with Nikki, I did a test, a metabolic efficiency test on a treadmill. I found that at Ironman race pace for the run, I was burning 60% carbohydrate and 40% fat. And then after it was, gosh, I think it was only five weeks, only five weeks, I made daily diet changes and I saw dramatically improved results. I was burning 60% fat at the same wow. pace. That's pretty good. And that that's not for, for someone who has a lot of insulin resistance, which you probably, if you were already that fast and you, you train like that, you probably didn't have ridiculous levels of insulin resistance. It, it is fast because your body's not having to overcome the damage. I wasn't really like one of those very kind of damaged or like really down that rabbit hole of, of carb cycle and dependence on carbohydrates. I think I was only, only moderately <laughs> dependent on carbohydrates. That's good. And how old were you whenever you found all of this? That was when I was 28, I think. Uh, so that's that's helpful too. <laughs> like when you're younger, your body can bounce back a little faster. So that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, good and- when you found it young. I mean, I was a lot older and I I think my nutrition growing up was bad and, and I had issues with, you know, genetic issues on top of that. I had reactive hypoglycemia. And every time I'd eat, I practically slip into a coma. And it was, it took a long, it took 10 years before I was, you know, bounced back well. But, mm-hmm. So everybody's different. I mean, now I'm, I'm 50 and I feel better at 50 than I did when I was in my twenties, which mm-hmm. is, that's a nice thing about keto adaptation, fat adaptation. You get to age backwards. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I mean, good on, it took, it took years of decades, but you finally figured out what works best for you. And that's, yeah, yeah, the, but I definitely am on the the lower end of can handle carbs, but that's not mm-hmm. what I coach. So it's not like not everybody needs to eat like I do. 
and I'm sure the same for you. Not everybody needs to eat what you, you know, like you do, because we're all different. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Just keep going. <laughs> all good. So one of the other things that Nikki did when I started working with her, after about a week or so, she introduced me to UCAN. And this was 2014. I had never heard of it before, but I trusted her. So she told me to go try it. And I went out and I bought some and started using it in my training. And I noticed that I was having that long lasting energy that the company talks about. And I was not having GI distress in my longer workouts on the weekends. And I was looking forward to my next bottle of UCAN rather than dreading my fourth bottle of sugary sports drink on my training rides. And so those are all really good signs, but most of my training doesn't exceed, you know, I mean, even on the weekends for those big, big workouts, doesn't really exceed four to six hours. So the true test is really going to be in a full Ironman where you're out there for between eight and 17 hours consuming more calories because the intensity level is higher uh, over the course of, you know, a very long period of time. And so I found that I needed to, you know, see it in action in a real, in an actual race, in an actual Ironman. So then at Ironman Maryland, in 2014, which is about three and a half months after I had started using UCAN, three and a half months after I had begun my fat adaptation process, I had seen you know big improvements in training, a lot of anecdotal evidence that it was going to work. But then I went to Ironman Maryland and it did. It proved out. I had this huge breakthrough day for the first time ever in an Ironman. Now my fifth Ironman, I had no GI distress. I had no bonking issues, no low energy issues. I was not dreading my next bottle of whatever uh, of UCAN. And I was able to run 20 minutes faster off the bike than I ever had before. I ran three nice. hours flat. So I was able to actually run the whole time, like run steady and run strong instead of fading and having bonking points. I had a 51 minute PR overall. I went eight hours and 51 minutes and I won the whole race. For me, that was like my, my epiphany moment that there is something to this. There is something to fat adaptation. There's something to you can. And imagine it's that. For me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's different. It's truly different. And then I wonder to myself, why isn't everybody doing this? Right. Well, I still don't understand why everybody doesn't want to be fat adapted. Mm-hmm. Or at least because, try it if it works. Yeah, them. at least try it. Because for me, I mean, I've been in the endurance field as an endurance athlete and and then later coaching. I used to work for team and training, you know, many years ago too. And I've seen many endurance athletes go through training and a lot of women, they train for a marathon or something and they end up fatter and heavier and, and they're so disappointed and their health is not as good. You know, when you train for something like that, you, you want some, you want some benefit at the back end more than just the medal at the end of the race. Right. You expect to become healthier. And for many people, it's an endeavor to help them become healthier. That's the whole, the whole purpose for many people. Right. I mean, they want to lose weight. They want to look better. They want to feel better. And they want their blood markers to improve. And then they see everything go in the wrong direction or stay right. the same. And, they're like, What's and it happens here? a lot. It, it I mean, mm-hmm. especially with recreational athletes, because they're told to eat, you know, all these carbs, you know, double your body weight or, or at least a couple hundred calories per hour. I mean, that's how I learned how to eat when I first trained for my first marathon and I didn't get better. I didn't get thinner. I wanted to look better. I wanted to be faster. And so I thought, well, maybe I just need to do some longer stuff. Then I kept doing longer and longer things until Ironman and ultra marathons. And I never got that thing I was looking for until I switched to keto adaptation or fat adaptation, or metabolic efficiency, or Peter um, calls it the optimized fat metabolism. There's different nuances, but it's the, basically the same premise of burning fat as your primary source of fuel. 
And exactly. I think if that's when people started to learn that, they would have such better results going on. They didn't have to dig themselves. Like I dug myself in a really deep hole, obviously. It took me 10 years to get out of it. But if they just learn it young, like you, I mean, five months later, you've got a PR, like hallelujah. So nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was like be- this big key that was unlocked. And they say, you know, there's no silver bullet in triathlon, right? There's no silver bullet. But to me, that this is was a like silver as close bullet. to a silver bullet as you could ask for. I mean, it I, is I a silver bullet. Breakthrough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're, I mean, I think that the idea, I guess, you know, going by the food pyramid, the base of the food pyramid, which, you know, or, you know, my plate now is everything's based on carbohydrates. And I think that that is like, you know, turn it around. It's really upside down that if you can handle a lot of carbohydrates, you're, you're usually the minority and, and a lucky person. My husband is six foot seven, super thin, weighs 170 pounds. He's like um, very thin and he can eat all the carbs he wants. And he, he doesn't have an issue. For me, if I eat more than hundred grams of carbs a day, even if I'm training hard, I'm a complete mess. I mean, it's just, that's my, my genes are the complete opposite spectrum of his. And even though I, I remind him regularly, just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. So mm-hmm. you shouldn't, even if you can handle a lot of carbs, doesn't mean you should be eating them all the time or eating them all the time during certain parts. You should have part of the year where you're bringing them down low, lower, at least a couple of weeks to regrain that insulin sensitivity. So enough of me rattling on. So I wanted to ask you about like, how do you recommend people use UCAN? Because that's a question that I get from people like, how do you use UCAN? How do you use your hydrate and what combos, you know, timing, calorie estimates, or, you know, just give an example. Yeah, sure. You know what? Before that, I've got two things. One is the end of the the story as far as the calories per hour. Remember how before I said I was really yes. skeptical? I was like, yeah, no way under 100 calories an hour. Yes. At Army Maryland, I was 94 calories an hour. Oh, good job. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I proved to myself and you know to to everyone that it is that it wasn't crazy, right? Like I was totally yeah. skeptical that that might be the case, but 94 calories an hour at Army Maryland, it felt great the whole time. So to me, that was that mind blowing, like, whoa, you know, she wasn't just blowing smoke at my, you know what. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's real. And then the other thing is, I should probably describe what you can is. Even yeah, that's so good. How to, yeah. <laughs> We're all blabbling on like we know what people like. What, what is that? So go and on. There, there, may, there may certainly be a lot of listeners who are familiar with what right. it is. I figure for those who don't, there's still plenty of people out there who aren't familiar with you can. So what what we're best known for is the carbohydrate that underlies you can, and the carbohydrate is called super starch. Most sports nutrition is underlied by either simple sugars, which is fructose, glucose, or by maltodextrin, or a combination of those. Now, those are all, as we know, relatively high glycemic carbohydrates, and they spike your blood sugar. And then 45 minutes to an hour later or so, you get a crash unless you continually redose. When you spike your blood sugar, your insulin rises. And we, we see this in many, many studies. This has been validated probably hundreds of times your insulin rises, and then it knocks you out of fat burning mode, you start burning less fat and more glycogen, you start depending on carbohydrates. And that's why you need to consume so many carbohydrates, because you only have something like 2000 calories of glycogen in your system, in your stored in your muscles in your liver, and you've got 10s of 1000s of calories of fat. So that's really I mean, I'm sure everybody must be familiar with that in this community, because that's really one of the basic premises of 
fat adaptations right. that you want to be able to rely on those tens of thousands of calories of fat stores and not on the 2000 calories of glycogen stores, which are very limited. So superstarch was discovered actually for uh, kids with a rare metabolic disorder back in 2008. It was discovered by a team of Scottish researchers that had nothing to do with endurance sports at first. Actually, it was everything to do with trying to help these kids with this glycogen storage disease, particularly Jonah Feldman, who's the inspiration for our company's starting. And in 2008, this team of Scottish researchers discovered superstarch. It, it's non-GMO cornstarch that's cooked through what is now a patented heating process. It's just heat and water. It's all natural. There's no chemicals or enzymes because initially it was being fed to newborns. And they created this epic molecule and it's called superstarch. And so just to put this in all into perspective, right? You've got simple sugars that have 180 molecular weight. Maltodextrin is like 500 to 3,000 and superstarch is 600,000. So it's a very, very big molecule. It's perhaps the most complex carbohydrate on earth. And why that matters is two main things. One, it's so complex and large that it breaks down at a steady rate, almost like a time-release source of energy, and it keeps your blood sugar stable, far more stable than it does with maltodextrin. It keeps your insulin levels nearly muted, and I'm not really aware of any carbohydrate that, that does this, especially something that is so easy on the stomach. And because your insulin levels stay nearly muted, it allows you to continue to tap into those fat stores much, far more effectively. And we have several studies since 2008 that show that fat oxidation is improved using superstarch over maltodextrin. And then the other thing that comes out of this, because the molecule is so big, it's, it's inversely proportionate or inversely related to a term called osmolality. I'm not a scientist. I'm going to speak in very layman's terms for everyone. Osmolality, the, what that means is that it clears the stomach very, very quickly. Osmolality is low. So low osmolality is a good thing. You want it to clear your stomach quickly. Superstarch's osmolality is extraordinarily low. So it clears the stomach quickly and gets out of there so that it doesn't cause any of those stomach aches, bloating, sloshing, and it gets into the gut where it then releases at that time-released, steady, long-lasting release. And so, you know, how, how I mentioned GI distress and why UCAN was so pivotal in, in solving that and relieving that for me, it's because of the fact that the osmolality is so low and it clears the stomach really, really quickly. And I didn't really know any of the science or background behind that at the time. It just worked. Um, but now I understand it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, You're it like, wasn't oh. just in my head or it wasn't just luck. Like there's so something there. Let's talk about a little bit. I wanted to talk about the training the gut. So what the people who say training the butt, <laughs> the butt training the gut <laughs> <laughs> is that you want to try to add different, like having glucose with fructose. So you're trying to, to do combinations of different sugars in the gut. And when you have sugar in the gut, it takes a lot of water and everything to digest those. And it takes yeah. away, you know, energy from your muscles to go. A lot of resources go to the gut to deal with all that sugar in the gut. So that's blood one of the reasons I'm, I'm not a fan of training the gut. We'd rather have that blood flow in the legs where right. they're powering you forward rather than all around the stomach, right. digesting the food that you're eating all the time. Right. Yeah. And half of there's some there's a study that says half of half of endurance athletes have some form of insulin resistance. And if you do any search of PubMed and look up insulin resistance, there's not good things. Not not good things are associated with insulin resistance. You know, diabetes, prediabetes, cancer, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia. You know, those are just a little few of the the things that are not not favorable. 
<laughs> that are associated with insulin resistance. I'm sure you know Dr. Maffetone and Professor Paul Larson mm-hmm. wrote an article, The Differences Between Being Fit and Being Healthy. And just because someone looks good and they're fast, they can have all the metabolic markers of someone who is a very sick person. They may look good. There's a number of athletes who have heart attacks. A lot of Olympic athletes who are told to eat these, you know, train the gut, eat a lot of sugar, end up when they're not athletes anymore with lots of issues. Some of them heart attacks, cancer, stroke, you know, not good things. You definitely want to eat a diet that's not going to raise those blood sugars. I wanted to ask you, did you, have you tested your fasting insulin before you switched and after? Did you notice a difference? I'd have to look back at the numbers. I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure I had them tested. Although because insulin is so, you have to be very controlled with it because insulin right. is is so variable throughout the day that if you test it at, you know, under slightly different circumstances than the next time, then it's not really an apples to apples comparison. But right. So I don't know if I've ever really had a, a really, really rigid, like, okay, everything is done exactly the same. You take a test, everything is done exactly the same after six months. Well, and I was referring to like a 12 hour fast. Like if you had uh, your fasting insulin after at least 12 hours of fast, that a lot of people, pre-diabetes just means, or insulin resistance means your fasting insulin, the bottom is pretty high. It's above 5.0 millimolars. And so your fasting insulin, if you have insulin resistance, is never dropping down low enough to really burn fat. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have to look back at the exact numbers to see what I was registering, but I did I mean, I did a four point uh, cortisol test too. I, like I did a whole bunch of testing back then. I just have to look back at the numbers. Oh, cool. So now, uh, tell us how you loved you can so so much, and you're mm-hmm. like, wow, this is a silver <laughs> bullet. And then you decided to go and work for them. Mm-hmm. And so, how yeah, long have process. you been working for you can? Yeah, yeah. So after I won Ironman Maryland, UCAN found out that I had won an Ironman using their product. And, you know, they obviously had some interest in learning who I was and maybe working with me. So I very quickly, you know, a few weeks after came on board, I was excited to help spread the word and wondering why not everybody already knew about this. And so uh, I happily came on board as an ambassador for the company, helping spread the word. So they sponsored me for three years. And then last January is when I came on board full time uh, to lead the charge and spreading awareness of you can in the triathlon world. Uh, and then since then, my role has expanded to beyond triathlon. It's now the endurance business, as you heard when you mentioned my title at the beginning. So now it encompasses running and ultra running and cycling and any type of sport that would be considered an endurance sport. Since you started using you can and promoting, since you started working with them, or even in general, have you noticed more and more people using you can? I had been in this keto adapted, fat adapted community for a long time. So I thought there was like this trend towards fat adaptation. And then I went to Training Peaks Endurance Coaching Summit Conference. And every talk I went to was this fat adaptation thing is wrong. You really have to add sugar and more sugar and train the gut. And I left there thinking, and I think this was in 2015 or 2016, I was very disappointed. And then the next year, it was the same thing. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know if just the sugar industry people or the people make all the other goos and gels are pushing back. And I know some of the people who were talking had funding from Gatorade. 
if that was part of the reason why there was such a push or is it just more people are still into that sugar mindset? Yeah, hard to say. So many different factors that go into that. And like you said, some of it could be lobbying and interests that people have that precipitate and encourage certain behaviors and consumer perceptions that that are, you know, butting heads with a fat adapted approach. And and some of it, I think is like, we've already talked about on several occasions that everyone is different. And so for some people, a fat adapted approach, maybe doesn't work as well, but for other people, it works extremely well. And so I think that's why it's so divided and so difficult to find. I think some of it also is that some people just aren't willing uh, to make the dietary changes and actually pay attention to the things that they're eating and maybe make some sacrifices in certain things. And well, they, yeah, like, you know, I... they would love to eat just, you know, bowls of ice cream and smoothies and, you know, uh, bowls of pasta and all sorts of carby, you know, they don't want to give up bread or like reduce the amount of bread they're eating. So maybe it's just some of it is kind of a self-control kind of thing too, right? Like a lot of people, they train to eat a lot of people. So, well, yeah. And that is true. I did a, I'm starting launching a membership site later in August. Um, hopefully (laughs) I'm like, I've been talking about it for a long time and took a course on how to do it. And I did a lot of market research and there's only about 10% 10% of endurance athletes who really watch what they eat. Mm. The rest are like, yeah, I eat whatever. And that some of it for me, I couldn't eat whatever because I gain weight so quickly. If I don't have very controlled food, I have some you know, issues. So I was focusing on like this kid adaptation, but there's a lot of endurance athletes who like, I can eat what I want. I can eat all the sugar I want and I'm thin and I'm fast and I feel fine. So there's like, you know, if you have that experience, you're probably like, well, I don't understand why anybody would control mm-hmm. what they eat because I can eat what I want. Yeah, that, exactly. What you just said, I think is is probably possibly even the biggest reason why people aren't fat adapted is because they're just kind of apathetic to it. Like they don't see there's a big enough reason to it. And it's also kind of a longer term thing, right? So you don't typically have immediate results from it. You have to No, it's it an investment maybe even yeah. years on, on end before you really see all of the, the full benefits. And so, you know, many people aren't that patient. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's a longevity issue too. Like, why are you doing all these sports? Granted, anybody who does endurance sports for a long time, you stay with it because that's who your friends are. You know, when you go and ride, you're going to go and see your friends and you're going to go and, you know, train here, train there. And you like the scenery or all these different th- reasons, but it's not just the actual event that makes somebody participate in endurance sports. But I always think, I mean, for longevity reasons, if you look at some person eating a bunch of sugar, regardless of how good you look, eventually it's going to catch up to you. Do you know Jonathan Edwards? Who no. the name rings a bell, but I don't know. He used to be the he's not a friend of mine, but he's a used to be a sports physio the sports doctor for AG2R racing. And he was a very good cyclist and has worked with all these people who used to be pro cyclists. He goes, as soon as they stop riding, they plump up and they have all kinds of issues. You know, as soon as they're not training, like on a pro level, the thing is like, I know when you're young, you, a lot of times you think you're invincible, but then at some point, like there's that tipping point where that overload of sugar and your body just can't handle anymore. You get the, your your cells don't want to take in sugar anymore. They're like, I'm tired of it. And then the fasting insulin rises, the sugar, your fasting sugar rises. I mean, fasting insulin starts first and then fasting glucose. And then next thing you know, you have a metabolic disease. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you convince people who are younger, or maybe you don't need to. Maybe you just wait until they become a train wreck, and then. I think a lot of youngsters they can get away with it, and that's why you know you don't see like kids in high school or you know twenty somethings usually focusing on diet and nutrition very much. It's typically after people start to experience some sort of detriment that they get prompted to start exploring what could improve my metabolic health and what can improve my overall health. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have good answers to that either, but I just know that if you keep that path, it's, it's not going to be to a good end. Yeah. You asked the question before and, and then I interjected with those two things that I wanted to throw, throw back at okay. you. So now I'll come back to the, the question that okay. you asked, how do you employ you can? Yeah. And so the way that I used it at Ironman Maryland is just one example, but I can explain how to use it in training too, which is obviously very important because that's usually when you're using it. But in the race itself, you know, in an Ironman, the way that I would feel myself is two servings of UCAN energy prior to, which is the super starch basically, but it's got some flavor and electrolytes prior to the race, about 45 minutes before the swim. And then on the bike, I have two bottles of about four-ish servings of UCAN energy in each bottle. And then when I get to the run, I have a gel flask, like one of those little five ounce bottles that you can put water in and a serving yeah. of UCAN into. And I do it in a very concentrated version. So that way it's maybe two, three ounces of water and one serving of UCAN. So I can fit a lot into that little bottle for easier carrying on the run. And I tuck that into my shorts as I'm leaving T2. So between the bike and the run. And then when I'm in the early stages of the run, I'll take that in when I'm ready. And then later on in the run, I'll typically switch over to whatever looks good on the course, partly for convenience, partly because your fat oxidation doesn't matter as much at that point, partly because I've been taking UCAN all day. So the risk of GI distress is really low. And partly because at that point, you just kind of like, hey, give me whatever looks good. I'm 10 miles from the finish line. Uh, so then I might reach for flat Coke. It might be Red Bull. And so I'll have some of that to, to get me to the finish line with that sugar and caffeine. But then in training, training is, is one serving of UCAN energy prior to my workouts between an hour and two hours. If it's over two hours, I'll still do the preload. So if I'm at like two to three hour workout, I'll do a preload of UCAN by taking the UCAN energy, maybe two to three servings before I go out. And then I'll be good without any fuel for the whole two to three hour effort. And then water and just hydration if I need it during those those efforts. For something that's longer than about three hours, I'll typically have some sort of you know, metabolically efficient meal before I go out. And then when I'm on the bike and the run, then I'll have a serving of UCAN energy of about one every hour. And the beauty of it is that as a fat adapted athlete is that it's keeping your blood sugar stable. It's keeping your insulin level stable, but you're still getting energy because super starch still is a carb, right? So that's one of the weird things here is that, you know, we're, we're talking to an audience of people who are either keto or low carb, high fat or fat adapted in some way, or maybe they're considering it. And yet we're talking about a carbohydrate and many people would be like, Oh, that's, that's weird. Why are we doing that? Like we're against carbs. But the thing is not all carbs are created equal. Right. And carbs are not bad if you time them right, you get the best of both worlds. You get the exactly. benefit without the metabolic damage. There's no pro athlete or pro cyclist or, you know, like you're a pro who's not using carbohydrates, at least mm-hmm. some. So yeah, this idea, for performance. you can run a marathon or ultra marathon or any distance event and be fast with no carbs. But if you want to be at the pro level, you're probably going to need some carbs. And it's just the amount 
of ATP you produce. If you're producing ATP from palmitic acid, from fatty acids, you produce ATP from ketone bodies, you get extra ATP from carbohydrates. So, it, you know, that's what contracts the muscle. So if you're not producing, just more ATP means more energy. And if you're glucose dependent, what you're taking away is the ATP from fat and the ATP from ketones. And then you're just relying mostly on carbs. So yeah, you're always going to go faster with carbs. So I'm sorry to interject, but go on. <laughs> yeah. And that's the beauty of it is that typically carbohydrates are something that we as fat adapted athletes might try to avoid because we don't want to cause that metabolic damage and some of the negative side effects that come from it because chronically consuming them. But because this is such a different carbohydrate, like I mentioned, it's a very, very complex molecule. Not all carbohydrates are created equal and it acts very, very differently than your simple sugars and maltodextrin that are in most simple, uh, most sports nutrition. So that's, that's where the difference is. You're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting energy because it's a carbohydrate and it's still going to provide you with blood sugar and some level of, you know, fuel for your performances so that you can operate at a very high level, but it's not giving you the side effects of the simple sugar carbohydrates that people are so accustomed to. So that's, you know, one of the amazing things and why you can has caught on so much in that fat adaptive community is because you can have the best of both worlds. You can, for your high intensity, you know, 90 minute sessions before you might go into that fasted as a fat adapted athlete, and you might struggle to nail your numbers, but have a serving of you can beforehand, you might all of a sudden start crushing those numbers and still be able to keep your blood sugar stable, your insulin muted, and still be able to continue to allow your body to burn fat and continue to get better and better at that over time. And then for your longer efforts, continually taking, you can during those longer efforts, whether they be workouts or races, you can still stay in that fat burning mode and allow your body to tap into the fat stores, all those things that we're trying to achieve through fat oxidation and fat, fat adaptation and still get to getting the energy so you can perform well. Very cool. Well, I hope that helps people understand like how and when you use, you can. Something that we talked about a little bit before, and I think we're in agreement with, and you just discussed a little bit at the end, you know, you want to start burning fat, but if a lot of times I've worked with athletes who have specific race goals and I recommend them using a combination of fast and slow carb. So whenever they, and like you talked about that, you still add in, you know, depending on the course, your goals, how well your gut handles it, some faster acting carbs like the Red Bull or the Coca-Cola. So you can use both depending on what your body handles and your race goals. Yeah, definitely. So, so there's a lot of people a, who are very, are very, very sensitive. So they might use UCAN exclusively, or they just like the way they feel and they operate, perform, you know, optimally using just UCAN. But then there's there's plenty of people out there who use a combination. And what I typically recommend for them is that they use UCAN in the early stages. So pre-race, pre-workout, and during the workout through, let's say, half or 75% of the way, and then switch over to the higher glycemic stuff. So that way you don't kind of impact and negatively impact the benefits of the super starch in the early stages. Instead, you can kind of toss some of those benefits out the window or reduce those a little bit and take in the, the high glycemic sugars if you're seeing that it, that it's helping you for one reason or another. Right. If you've tested it out, like, mm -hmm, like exactly. one thing <laughs> that you would say and I would say, never try anything new on race day. Yeah. So yeah. Do it on like a simulation day, a race simulation day. Right. And I always tell people, I mean... If you use Strava, you can pick a Strava segment, you know, warm up for a long and do a race simulation and pick a segment and just see how you perform or on a trainer, you know, a trainer's worked great that you can really see the, you know, if you're a cyclist, you can see the difference in Watts. 
Uh, and if you're a runner, they do have the power meter for your, your foot now, but you can see your pace. If you just recreate the environment, test different combos and see what works best for you and different yeah. amounts. So you are talking about just because there's a recommendation on the bottle, you were actually using a lot different. You're using a couple doses in your bottles than what, what, so you have to figure out the amount that works for you too. Definitely. So typically where people end up falling is one serving to two servings per hour of the UCAN energy. So fat adapted athletes tend to be on the lower side of that. Sometimes people even perform optimally on even a little bit less than a serving per hour. And it also depends on the intensity though. So uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into what the right, right dosage is for you. And the bottom line is you got to test it and trial it for yourself. Because all the factors that go into, I mean, gender, age, measure of fat adaptation, uh, the intensity of the workout that you're doing, how long you're going to be out there. There's a lot of different factors, but the bottom line is you got to just try it out in your training and you got to figure out, okay, is, is one serving per hour good for me is one and a half or is it two and keep trying and keep trialing and erring. And, and I'm here to help. Anybody has any questions about you can at all, feel free to reach out to me. You have my email address, Stephanie, you can include that yes. in the show notes, I guess, but it's also people would just want to hear it. It's matthew.bach at youcanco.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W dot B-A-C-H at U-C-A-N-C-O dot com. So if anybody ever wants to reach out to me with questions, I'm happy to help. Yeah, and they have a Facebook group. Yeah, uh, we have a UCAN yeah. community Facebook group. So you can ask questions there and see what response people have, you know, not only from Matt, but people's personal experiences. And then where can you find UCAN? Our website's the best place, UCAN.co. And on there, I want to direct you to the bundles. So the bundles are pretty new for us. We only launched them, I think, in March. And the bundles are an excellent, excellent way to really try UCAN. And then if, once you become a UCAN fan, to stock up because you're going to get some from each different format. And I don't think we really went into this, but we have powders that you mix into water and it forms essentially a shake. And that's the, that's the UCAN energy. That's the super starch that we've been talking about this whole time. But the super starch is also available in bar format. So we have bars as well. Those are delicious. They're going to give you that steady energy. And then we also have UCAN energy plus protein. So again, this is a powder. It's just like the UCAN energy, except there's protein added. We have whey protein and plant protein options. And then there's UCAN hydrate, which has no super starch in it at all. It's just an electrolyte product with no sugar, no calories. Keto athletes often need lots and lots of electrolytes. UCAN hydrate can help you with that. And so those are our four main product lines. And the bundles have either a selection from each of those product lines or a combination of different product lines or it's several items from that one product line. You, you'll see when you go on the site, but those are all discounted 20 to 30% because you're buying in, in a larger quantity rather than just one tub or whatever it might be. So the, the bundles are, the, I think, the best way to really get started with UCAN to truly trial it, the Essential Nutrition Bundle. And if you're somebody who's already a UCAN fan, that's the best way to stock up on them too. The Stay Stocked bundles are all discounted 20 to 30% because you're buying several tubs or several boxes and parts at the same time. Very cool. And if you live in a hot environment, how would you recommend using the hydration? Because for I live in Phoenix and it's really mm -hmm. hot. And I tend to recommend people to use electrolytes, you know, outside of training as well as training. So do you mm -hmm. have specific recommendations for people who are using the electrolytes? Yeah, the advice that you just gave is excellent advice because you can't keep up with it when you're during workouts. I right. mean, you're going to be dehydrated to some degree. So you have to continually sip at electrolyte drinks or and water beyond your workout. So that way you can replenish and be ready for your next workout. 
I think uh, that's so, the number one thing that causes problems here. We just had like three different athletes riding their bike and literally passing out in Phoenix mm. because it's been 110 and we just ride, you know, we don't care where we ride when it's hot. It does. I'm like, we're nuts. <laughs> but I'm like, if you're electrolytes, people don't just drink whenever you are riding, drink throughout the day. You need electrolytes. So yes, drink yeah. your electrolytes outside of training in the summer and during training during the summer and salt your food Absolutely. extra. And, you know, I think there's this craziness about people, you know, salt is bad for you. You don't want to have mm. salt. And it's like, no, that's not true for that's a fat adapted athlete. It's the exact that, opposite. That too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sedentary people, they, they don't really need to be salting like crazy no. because they're not exercising and they're not sweating as much. But when you're sweating like crazy and you're a keto athlete, I mean, you need to be piling on the electrolytes. Right. Right. Extra. Don't, don't skim. I mean, the worst thing you could probably tell would, if you start to be, retain water, then probably back off, but more mm-hmm. athletes die from hyponitremia than they do dehydration. Mm-hmm. So hydrates with electrolytes often. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, to answer your question about you can hydrate or how to get electrolytes yeah. into your approach, I answer this question all the time. It's the dog days of summer right now. You can hydrate is a great solution to get some electrolytes. It tastes great. It's zero calories, zero sugar. So you don't have to worry about over-consuming a bunch of sugar like you would, you know, drinking Gatorade or something, but you're getting the electrolytes that you need. So there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. You can just drink, you can hydrate as it is, or you can have, you can hydrate mixed into your super starch drinks. If you're worried about flavors clashing, you can get the plain super starch and mix it with, which actually, uh, I think you have a tub of that coming today. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) and then you can hydrate you add in so that way you have the flavor from the you can hydrate you have the electrolytes in the you can hydrate and you have the fuel from the super starch all in one bottle so that's a fan favorite that a lot of people tend to do and then the other way that you can do it is through other types of electrolytes right you can use salt capsules and open them up into your you can drinks or you can take something like base salt or pink himalayan sea salt or whatever electrolyte source it is that you're typically using and put it into your uh, you can drinks so that you can keep the electrolyte content strong during these summer months when you are sweating a lot and you need those extra electrolytes. And then of course you can just take, you know, swallow salt capsules and take these salt, take the salt and all these things so that you can keep up with it. So lots of different ways you can do it. Definitely makes sense to pay attention to it, both from the perspective right. of just how you feel and, and health, but also from the perspective of recovery. If you're well hydrated, you're going to recover faster. Have you noticed a difference in your recovery since you switched to a fat adapted approach? Because typically sugar creates a lot of damage in the body. Sugar that stays in your bloodstream creates Mm -hmm. a lot of damage. I I didn't really notice a huge difference there. I mean, maybe it just goes back to the everyone's different for me. I didn't, maybe I just didn't have a lot of damage being done because maybe because I was young and I kind of got away with it. But for me, I I didn't really notice a huge increase, decrease, kind of seemed to stay the same for me as far as recovery. Mostly the gut problems. You didn't have any hypoglycemia because a lot of times when I talked to Zach Bitter, the reason he switched to fat adaptation was he was waking up in the middle of the night having to go to the bathroom. He had gut mm. issues too, but you know that was his big sign. Like you know, you had a I don't know if he had an inflamed prostate or something like that. But usually, when you're not able to sleep till the night, you can't recover very well. You have gut issues when you eat after you eat, you become tired or you have to read eat a, uh, every couple hours. Those are big signs that you're already developing some pretty bad insulin resistance, but you know, it doesn't sound like you were that stage. So good that you caught it early. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it, I mean, honestly, I didn't do it for health initially. I did it for performance. 
Yeah. Because of those GI problems I was trying to avoid. But in the end, it's beneficial for my health too. And I just didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yes. That's my big thing. And I don't want to come across as an extremist or a psycho, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what I feel like I sound like because my husband's like, you're such a food nut. I'm like, I am because I have such issues. Have yeah. yeah, I have to be. But then I see my, I'm like, I, I really like my husband. He's a cool dude and I love him. I want him to live a long time <laughs> and I don't want him to eat those things. So it scares me to think of like, you know, all the garbage that he's eating that I'm like, just because you're thin and fast doesn't mean you're healthy. And you can tell, I mean, if, if someone's listening to this, if you start to notice your A1Cs creeping up year to year, usually people have an annual physical. If your A1Cs were 5.1 one year and the next year they're 5.3 and then they move up to 5.6, I mean, that's a bad sign. Those are the things that I really would like to drive home to people about like, hey, this is a bad deal. If you start to, those are things that that's the canary in the coal mine that things are going to start going south for you. But then, you know, I think that sometimes I have the alarmist approach, which, you know, if I can twist that around to the performance approach, you're going to be able to go faster and get a PR and win your race. That's a much more enticing, I think for especially younger people. The younger people, they're not thinking about whenever they're 55, 60, they're thinking about, you know, I want to PR. I want to win this race. I want to be on the podium. Yeah. Very cool, Matt. So fun talking to you. Is there any yeah. last things you want to include or what would you tell the Matt before you found fat adaptation in UCAM? What would you tell the previous Matt that you think would have made the difference? <laughs> uh, if I could have given myself a heads up that all that GI yes. distress was to come. Then I would have been oh, like, all right, you better just don't blindly follow what everyone's telling you to do because not everybody is educated enough to know what's best for you. So oh, I, I wouldn't have spent advice. four Ironman suffering. I would have hopefully figured it out faster than that. But I mean, that said, you know, the way that it panned out wasn't all that bad because at least it was only four Ironmans and only right. two years before I kind of realized that I need to make a change. And I was able to, to kind of fix things even when I was still in my 20s. So yeah. very cool. Awesome very cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, if anybody's listening to this, you want to get in touch with Matt, the email will be in the show notes. And if you want to keep up with UCAN, the news, they have some really cool videos on the Facebook group. They show different workouts, different people talking about UCAN and also talking about different exercises. I believe they have a, quite a few different strength programs on there that different people are posting, which is super cool. Yep. So that's a great resource for any endurance athlete. Yeah, but you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we have a great YouTube channel with a bunch of good videos. And then, like you mentioned, Stephanie, the UCAN community group on Facebook is great. So you find a lot of good, good resources there. And if you have ever questions, you can also post them in the UCAN community group if you don't want to email me directly. Either way. Oh, well, great. Thank, thank, thank you, you so much, much for having me, Stephanie. This is fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like and subscribe to the show. If there's anyone you would like to hear from or any topics you would like to hear more about, please let us know in the comments.